welcome. That was Rihanna by A plus E. I don't think we've done this that one before, uh, but I'm not entirely sure. So we'll we'll hope we didn't because I've already gone that way. Uh, this is going to be interesting Beyond Green podcast, mainly because right now it's only me in this room. I am uh, I'm alone, and I'm talking directly to you, the viewer, which might be an odd image in your mind. But anyways, uh, what we've got for you tonight actually is a continuation or a, a we're going back to something we recorded a while ago which was actually a discussion with tim nash uh so darren and i had a had a short-lived couple episode youtube show uh which we sort of ended up having to phase out but we might bring back if if, if viewers managed. uh but the show basically had it was it was myself darren and tim nash the sustainable economist and it was very very interesting i recently reconnected with tim nash because he was because he's got a, a new report coming out, actually, uh, which, if I can find the link, I'll post below, but probably you'll just see that coming through the channels, probably on greenmajoritymedia.ca uh, within the next couple of weeks. You'll see some posts about that. Uh, and, but he's, it's, Tim Nash brings a very interesting uh, side of the equation as, as the sustainable economist. There's a very specific way he sees things, which we thought was of value, and also sort of figured it was a, uh, it was a good time. To, we, we wanted to reuse such good content. It's, you know, YouTube isn't really exactly made for hour-long talks where these sort of podcasts can really get going. Uh, so, so that's what you're going to get for a majority of the show. Uh, what I want before that, I just want to I, I want to I want to bring up the idea before we get to the actual the actual show. I want to get to the idea that as as I mentioned, there's you know we, the number of listeners we have are probably interested in some of the things. But I would really recommend the the alternatives journal blog post, which was came out shameless promotion of my own writing on the podcast that i have uh so i guess the 28 of you listen probably like the podcast you'll probably like this article it's on alternatives journal i'll post a link below this because i'm trying to pump it out as much as possible because uh, i think it's really a discussion that's invaluable and i think it's a discussion that tim nash has a lot to say on actually uh perhaps not in this actual clip but we're going to get him back on the show and there's some other interviews i've done with him that's actually very interesting and it's all on the idea of sustainable growth and whether or not sustainable growth is possible and the idea that Really, and a lot of environmentalists don't see growth the way economists do. We end up talking past each other in a lot of ways. And I think this post, sort of, at least the first of the series that I'm planning on writing, at least helps to explain that a little bit. Uh, but without further ado, uh, here's the Beyond Green discussion uh, that we're having uh, with myself, Tim Nash, and Darren. Uh, I guess take it away, guys. Welcome back. So uh, I'm on my attempt to go over the green line. Uh, I'm going to bring up an issue that a lot of my environmental friends are very, very passionate about right now. And I don't really see eye to eye with them on this issue. Uh, so the issue is pipelines. And a lot of people are putting a lot of energy into protesting pipelines. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of pointless. Mm -hmm. Not that it's pointless, but I think there are way, way, way better places for them to put their energy. So I can think of several hundred people that want to kill you already. And yeah. So well, this is this is, this is <laughs> see, it's see, not a very time, popular. See, last show I insulted libertarians and that lost right. half our and audience. That was a problem. Uh, I think you may have surpassed me on that one. That so one, right? here's here's my argument: is that most environmentalists don't understand the notion of opportunity cost, mm -hmm. which is that when you're doing any type of cost benefit analysis, you always consider uh, the the alternative, the next best alternative in your calculations, mm -hmm. right? And when it comes to pipelines, the next best alternative is rail. 
And so if the, if the oil is not going by pipeline, mm-hmm. then it stands to reason that it'll go by rail. Mm-hmm. So in terms of their calculations of the impact on climate change, the risk that it comes that comes to uh, ecosystems, you have to factor in uh, this notion of what is the cost on both of those factors if you're doing it for rail as opposed to through a pipeline. Now, that's kind of, you know, in terms of, of that specific issue. Uh, at the same time, I would say there are just there are much more important things to go after. Mm-hmm. But obviously, this is a climate change issue. Pipelines have become a real uh, uh, um, lightning rod when it comes to the climate change debate. And so many environmentalists have put so much at stake, personally, on this pipeline issue, mm-hmm. where if Keystone XL gets, um, uh, gets passed... They're going to, you know. That's the nail in the coffin. Exactly. They say it's over. And my whole point is that if you want people to stop extracting oil, which is, I think, what we want. Basically. (laughs) Then let's, let's get them to stop extracting and not worry about the delivery system as much. Right. But it's like if, if you want people to stop bottling water, get them to stop bottling water. Don't boycott the trucks (laughs) that they're using to deliver it. I have. Can I? I Please, I, you I, should I, start this. I got two. I got two thoughts on that. For Please. Me. The first thought is, I think um, that. Well, I'll explain the environmentalist. What I understand is environmentalist position on this whole matter and what, sure. what their thought process is, sure. which is basically, to my understanding, that. Uh, they want if they can get basically if they can trap Alberta oil sands mo- oil in the in Alberta right. or make it as difficult as possible that will make it less and less profitable and that might reduce the amount of what I'm saying. I, who knows when that's possible? And if they get one thing out, one of them out, I'm sure that the whole thing crumbles. But that's basically my understanding, sort of the idea around it. But I think more importantly, and much what, what more speaks to your first point, less to your second point, is the idea that I think. They have to oppose them, and they have to oppose them as strongly as possible. In a in a in a sense that to not oppose them would be to complicitly imply, or they see as complicit in the sort of accepting of the oil nature of the nature okay. of oil. And I think that's a big part of it. A big part of it is that like you can't be like, well, I, like a lot of you hear that all the time. A lot of oil, a lot of other people who are against against environmentalists say things like they don't understand because like it, we'll get the oil anyways, haha. But I think part of it is just the it's just it's 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 the most visible part and also it's the most it's it's the it's the part of oil extraction that is the most susceptible to nimbyism which is by far mm. the most powerfully used tool by environmentalists and, and I, non-environmentalists. Yeah. I, I, oh, want to, sure. I want to carry off that point actually, because I think one of the one of the things maybe that might have been missed in your explanation sure. was just that I, I I think you may be undervaluing the importance of symbolism and and what I think that and, and I can make a comparison to a local comparison for Toronto. Sure. The idea of the uh, the straight shot to uh, the airport. Okay. Right. They wanted to have the uh, the, yeah, the the diesel train going the through line from the airport to Union Station. Exactly. And so a, a lot of the, if you look at sort of the the array of opposition to that, right. The most, the strongest component of that sure. has been the people who are the local communities sure. who the diesel train is going to go through. Right. That is what is enacted people. Correct. And so I think what is perhaps why the environmentalists are going after this because I think that most people understand implicitly what your angle is on that. I think the reason that they're still sort of obsessed with it anyway is that the is that a lot of career environmentalists understand that if you don't find something that gets into somebody's backyard, it's very hard to get them to care. And there's not enough uh, 
dark green environmentalists and to fight this sort of thing. Yeah. And so if we don't use the opportunity of the part of the oil sands, like for everyone who doesn't live in Alberta, there's nothing in their backyard. So this is the only care? part of it that goes in their backyard. Why do you care about the pipeline? Well, because I'm, the, dar I'm the dark green guy. Uh, to be fair, uh, for the record, I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily not sympathetic to your argument. Yeah. But I think why the reasons why, even though I sort of agree with you in a, in a theory sense, sure. but perhaps disagree with you in, a, in an application sense, yeah. is that I, I think there's an extremely strong value in that part that actually hits people's backyards to sure. mobilize people that would otherwise not give a shit. Well, exactly. And I, I would argue that I, I would say there are 50 to 60 percent of people uh, who protest the tar sands right. uh, who would not sign up to, uh, to sit on a board which supported solar energy, small-scale solar energy. Like, I think there's a big percentage of people who are mobilized on this one issue right. who could not be mobilized on a lot of, uh, on other environmental issues. Right. And I think, I think that's a lot of what they're doing there is, they're, is, is it's, it's building the sort of base environmentals. And as soon as you sure. get people acting on it, that's right. another big thing is getting someone to act on anything right. makes them inherently feel more passionately about the thing they're acting on. All I'm I think saying, that's all, I want people to care. I want people to be right. passionate. I want people to stand up for what they believe in. I just think there are way more important steps they could take mm. than protesting pipelines. Right. I mean, for me, one of the biggest ironies, and obviously this hits home for me, mm. but how many people own tar sands companies in their RRSPs? Mm. Probably a lot more than realized. Who, who don't, but who are protesting the pipelines? Oh, I don't know. Or so, who so, don't believe so. in... Uh, tar sands development. Yeah, see, that's so, interesting. I would argue that so, there'll be very few people who are protesting, a lot of people who are against it but don't pay attention. And so my, in terms, 350.org, mm. Bill McKibben's yeah. organization, has spearheaded this Keystone Pipeline. Mm. They've also spearheaded uh, a divestment campaign yeah. from fossil fuels. Yeah. I would say that the, the latter subject is way, way, way uh, mm -hmm. more game-changing really? than the former, even though... People have really latched on to the former. Right. The pipeline issue has become a way, way, way bigger lightning rod. I don't know. And I get that. Right. When it comes to symbolism, I'm with you. I think symbols are huge. How many people know that, that Obama put solar panels on the White House this week? Yeah, a bunch. It was a, it was a news story. It, was, uh, it made the news. Yeah. And so how many people are going to still think about that you know, in a month from now? Right. So it's interesting for me, but we, we tend to latch on, and maybe this is a behavioral thing, but I think it's way easier for us to be against things mm -hmm. than for things. Right. And I think that for whatever reason, we've latched on to this one specific issue, Right, and if if the Keystone XL passes, environmentalists are going to be distraught. Yeah, but this, we, this Whereas from my Kyoto perspective, I would I would gladly I would easily trade uh, um, the pipe Keystone pipeline for a price on carbon. Right, Obviously, for yeah. for stricter uh, uh, emissions controls. Arguably, the price on carbon would kill Keystone pipeline, but it's a different thing. And so this is my thing: <laughs> let them build it. Right, the economics are not going to support it. Right. There's and I'm I'm I almost don't want to say this because I was about to try and come back and support you, but I have to disagree with you first. Please. Which is that, and at the risk of getting into a topic I don't want to go anywhere fucking near, <laughs> uh, I'm going to borrow a term from a different issue that we're not going anywhere near, which is the idea of facts on the ground, which comes from the whole apartheid thing. That's what we're not getting into. <laughs> um, which is the idea of facts on the ground, which is once the investment of the physical infrastructure is there, right. then people go, well, I hear your arguments, but we already built it. Right. And I think that's where that thing's come from. We need to stop it somewhere, but and I think why there's been so much of a groundswell of energy around this was that other people, like, it's that thing, it's the opportunity cost. It's that curve in economics, right? The lower the price gets, the more people buy it. Sure. And I think the price of being an environmental activist on this issue is getting lower and more people are signing up. And I think that why, even though you're a million percent right on the actual facts of the situation, 
I, I still think that this is a constructive way to fight this project because the base has gotten so large at this point that we have far more traction, even though the actual effects of what they're fighting for maybe not be realistic. Because I think what you were essentially trying to say at the beginning was people have this illusion that if you stop the pipeline, you, right. s- you shut down the oil industry. Correct. And that's fucking nonsense. It's complete nonsense. Right. I'm just adding a however, right. I guess, to the end of that. If I, before you finish final thought, yeah, I, was, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on the idea of I feel like the divestment campaign yeah. is the opposite of an investment campaign. Right. And I almost feel like an investment campaign would be dramatically more po- positive Correct. than a deal. Like, because, like, my thinking of getting rid of, like, my thinking of, of, sure. of divesting in, in oil sands money or, or all, all in fossil fuels right. is in our current system, you're just letting the people who don't give a shit make more money. Correct. Um, well, and you're profiting from it. Yeah. No, I mean, like, I mean, like, by, by divesting someone, you're, you're oh, selling your stocks at what it means to, are, someone, to someone else who doesn't give a shit and they're making right. money money. And I think like I like I don't see I would Correct. love to hear your thoughts on whether or not that is different from opposing tar sands oil. Right. And it could because they're both sort of at some point you're it's not addressing it on a structure, which I think an so, investment campaign might. So so I think I think that just to address that real quickly and yeah. then I'll sort of wrap up yeah, yeah, but sure. is is the notion that um uh, that, that supply and demand works both ways, mm-hmm. right? And so by no way, by decreasing the demand for a stock, mm. will you raise the price for it. Mm. Someone else will buy it from you, right? right? But by vestige of you selling it, the price will be lower. Right. And the invisible hand works wonders, mm. much more so in the investment industry than the consumption industry, mm-hmm. right? So divestment campaigns can be more effective than boycotts. Right. Um, uh, but what I would, I agree with you that there's an opportunity cost. Mm. And when you divest from something, it means you have to invest in something else. Right. And that's what I help my clients do. Mm. They don't want to invest in the tar sands. If they don't want to invest in pipelines, then well, where are we going to invest? Right. And we can invest in things like solar bonds. Mm. We can invest in things like water infrastructure. We can invest in all, all matters of the green economy. So again, there's that opportunity cost. If you're not going to do something, what's the next best alternative? Right? We didn't mean for this to turn thing. into a commercial for Tim's company, but uh, can, but it did. Commercial for Tim's company. Thank you. <laughs> just saying. And um, and then and at the same time, I think that you know, I, w- just to wrap up this issue. But I mm-hmm. think that for me, the important thing and what you brought up is the notion of symbolism. And I think what the environmental movement needs more than anything right now is a win. <laughs> and I think we are desperate for a win. And I think that the one thing that the, the pipeline protests have going for them is I think they're winnable. Yeah. And if sure. they are, people are going to feel really good and yeah. that'll give us momentum. And, you know, we can see it as a stepping stone towards something else. The last really good win we had was Tiny Township. And we covered that on the show a few years ago. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know that story, just Google Tiny Township. But, I mean, we're, we're kind of, we're, we're, we're in need of fix here. Yeah. Somebody hook us up with something. Anyway, that, I think that'll, that'll wrap up this section. Thank you very much, Tim. Cheers. It's on the record and over the line, um, which actually is a fun thing to say. I really yeah. like that. On the um, record. <laughs> Start again. Uh, all right. Well, wait, I've never hit these things. Should I hit this thing again? I fucked up so badly already. It's in the do, it, do it. Do it. Do it. All right. Anyways. All right. I was going to hit this thing. Right, John? Yeah. All right. There we go. Um, I don't know if that's a new one or but welcome back to Over the Line, or the Green Line, I believe is what we said. Over the Green Line. Over the Green Line. That is the name of the show. Exactly. Uh, But anyways. This week. This this week. week. (laughs) Man, next week it might be something else entirely. We're considering the nuclear option. Um, (laughs) But anyways. Uh, my question, I think, is I have less of a preamble than you guys do because I think it's a very specific thing. I had a very interesting argument actually with a professor here at U of T um, a while back of the value of extremists, and mm-hmm. he and he was he's a very well respected and very non-extreme at all, most mild man I've ever met. 
political scientist, but he 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 thought highly in the value of extremists. He thought there was there was usefulness in that. It, it came out of Earth First, mm-hmm. basically the guys who sort of you know did some eco terrorist kind of things and sort of really uh, were really really you know I'm going to blow something up because I don't like <laughs> it kind of people. Um, please don't blow up the studio. Um, hey, in case you thought all the nut jobs were on the right, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There are other ones. There's <laughs> more, but there's a few on the left. Uh, exactly. Um, but basically, my so that's my big thing. I want to. I, I I I have my position on it, in which I which I which I will get to later. But I want to hear your guys' opinions first. Of can you make a good coherent argument for the value of extremists? Uh, go. Uh, I already had mine, I guess. So sorry for the sound. Uh, I already had mine, so I guess I'll, right. I'll start. So my reasoning on why I think these people are extreme is, or sorry, my reasoning on why I think extremists are useful is because there's the sort of false dichotomy of the news, the mainstream media, until shows like ours are broadcast nationwide and millions of viewers. Look uh, at you, CBC. Yeah, look at you, CBC. Money, screw CBC. Yeah, they have no money. <laughs> CTV, Damn. global. Yeah, somebody. Rogers Communications. Is, Anybody. <laughs> is it essentially? Um, whenever you, it's like when you, whenever you saw one of those news reports, you, you've stopped seeing it now. But over the past three years, there's been a, a just a just overwhelming amount of. Well, here's a climate change scientist, uh, NASA Space Goddard Institute, Dr. James Hansen, or uh, you mentioned 350.org, Bill McKibben, or someone else who you know is incredibly well informed, knows what they're talking about, many many degrees, uh, versus some guy who, by the way, happens to be employed by you know Lockheed Martin or Exxon Mobil or Suncor, and meh. Who's to say what's right? And I think what that does is that makes people think, well, here's a guy who thinks that climate change is true. Here's a guy that thinks it's false. So maybe it's true, maybe it's not. There's some debate going on. And what happens, I think, the, the effect of where the media operates is that people hear a variety of opinions and they split the difference. Mm-hmm. People are always split the difference. And so by having environmental extremists, you do a couple of things. First of all, I think you drag that left side out a little bit. Because the thing is, like, it's, it's, and I'm not saying this is something special the left has to do. The right wing, if anything, flaunts their extremists. And then whenever somebody gets upset about it, they go, well, they're not really with us. But the rest of the time, they totally are happy to get all that extremist input. People on the left are far more concerned about saying, okay, well, I don't go that far. I don't agree with Stefan on that issue. But here's where I stand. It's the whole idea of the fractured left. But what happens is that by having those extreme people out there, you can get into a conversation and say, look, Greenpeace, and I I know I like to pick on Greenpeace. They're actually a lot better than they used to be. But back in the day, they would be the people who were doing things that I thought were way crossing the green line. Oh, what would happen is that people go, okay, well, I want to sit down at the table. You know, I'm Tim Nash. I, you know, have an understanding of uh, economic uh, processes, and I advise on on accounts and and uh, investing issues. Uh, and you know, I'm not crazy like those green people. I come from a business background, so I'm far more reasonable. I think if you went up to people and they had never heard of extremists like Greenpeace, I think people would go, yeah, but I still heard the word green or sustainable somewhere in your title, which makes me trust you less. But when you have extremists like that, because I think the title green itself means you're an extremist. But when you have greens who are actually like legitimate extremists going and blowing stuff up or saying ridiculous crap or breaking the law in 9,000 ways that don't actually help anything, they're just breaking the law. It makes someone who, when Tim sits down, go, oh, here's someone I can actually talk to. I think it drags out that side so that someone like Tim seems reasonable and a professional. Whereas without that, they might simply stop you with the word sustainable and go, next. I mean, I think that, uh, so, from, from where I stand, something that is definitely over the green line is any time that violence becomes a part of it. And I think that, for me, that's just very, very, very simple. Mm-hmm. 
but that I think that any time from any political sphere when people use violence or violent means um, it just completely delegitimizes the entire movement mm -hmm. right and I would say that uh, for me specifically this comes in the form of protests that any time I've participated in events where there are thousands and thousands and thousands of peaceful ones and if there are a handful of people that become violent, mm -hmm. then it ruins it for everyone, and the name is ruined for everyone. In case you so, missed our first episode, by the way. <laughs> so, for me, uh, provided it's in a nonviolent capacity, mm. I think for sure, I think extremism has, has a huge role. And, and I should, so just before you go on, sure. I should preface my comments by saying I do not, in a, I was not in any way endorsing violence. Right. What I meant right. by extreme positions, just to be clear about where sure. it was coming from, was extreme as far as what they want the world to look like. Sure. People go out and say that, you know, all yeah. major, all multinationals should be shut down. They should shut down all car traffic. That sort of extremeness, not violence extreme. Just to be, just for the record. Right. And I think that's an important distinction to be made because there have been groups in the environmental movement that have gone violent. Mm -hmm. Right. And, I, you know, for me, that's just, that's, that's over that's the line. Like, that's what you love. It. Yeah. That's, and that's where I put the line. Uh, I find that humor is an exceptionally powerful way to get across your message. And I think that so many of the things that we're doing are just so absurd mm -hmm. that there's so much oh, yeah. to kind of point oh, yeah. fun at. Yeah. And there's so much to be done. Right. And, and really doing that. The other thing. So, you know, in terms of this idea of, of sort of shifting that center ground, which, you know, people say the Tea Party has been really, really good at yeah. that, mm -hmm. that they've shifted They're the a bunch entire of dialogue. Lunatics. They've shifted the entire dialogue. To the right, and and I in case we had that. one Tea Party watcher, you're a fucking lunatic. Get out of here. No and, one made um, this far. And, <laughs> and 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 I get that, and I think that you know what I'm starting to realize in my life is that I don't really see this notion of absolute truth, mm. right? But what I do see is this idea of relative truths, mm. and that what we're, what we're all trying to do is compare ourselves to other people. Right. And that's what we do, right? And we set benchmarks and we compare ourselves to those benchmarks. And those benchmarks are often things that society has constructed and, and that we, uh, that, you know, have been socialized growing up to say, okay, here's the path. Here's what is normal. And we basically judge our notion of success mm -hmm. and, and politeness and everything according to that. And for me, I want to change those benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the way you change those benchmarks is by being, to a certain degree, sort of extreme. Mm -hmm. when, uh, when I meet someone who is completely outside the box mm -hmm. in terms of their life, they're 100% off the grid, right? And they just completely live that sustainable lifestyle. I look at my life, mm -hmm. and even though compared to most benchmarks, I live a pretty green lifestyle, I'm like, man, I could do so much more. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think that's useful. I think that that has, I think that in certain cases that extremism has a really, really good point in changing our psychology and changing our behavior to, to shift our perspective. It's, it stops people from thinking that maybe I think that there's, they're settling in an area where they're like, well, you know, I, I eat organic food, which again, we also went through in our first episode is a lie. Go back and watch off the record <laughs> episode we? one. Uh, when, uh, we no, when, when Liam was talking <laughs> about sustainability, he was talking right. about local food choices. Yeah, right. And that's like right. That. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that too, but and I think, but I just want to sort of double down on your point a little bit about the fact that, yeah, I think people sort of like if if all you see around you is people who are similar to you, you never. It's not that you don't aren't inspired right. or challenged to, to take further steps. It's that you don't you don't think about it. Right. Right. It's not until someone stops you totally. and says, "What you even walk?" No, the environmental thing to do is actually to be in a drug sedated coma. <laughs> 
you know, and it's not until you see that that you think about. You may not agree with them, but you think about how how close to where they are you could go. Correct. You're challenged to look at the middle ground. All right, but but okay. So I have I have not said a single word of my own topic until right now. So I'm going to I'm going to make a few points right off the top. Of it. First one is we're working very obviously on two definitions of the word extreme. Okay. Um, and I would argue that uh, screw. It, I'm going to go over time. I'm going to warn you right now. Um, but. Uh, the the first one I think is if you to go out and call uh, actually if, if this is gonna be the most confu- weird thing but basically if anyone watches the newsroom which is a yep. semi decent show run by Ansarkin it's only it's really good for weird reasons and bad for other weird reasons but basically one interesting part about it is recently a character on the show uh, got very much in trouble for calling the Tea Party the American Taliban. <laughs> um, and, and, and this was something he had I done. Love it. Exactly. And, and he got all this backlash and blah, 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 blah. Um, and, like, you know, there's a whole backlash about how he was disrespectful for people in 9 11, but th- th- none of that's important. My, my point is, I think, is that there, the, that illustrates the difference how people understand the word extremism. Right. Because we don't even, like, I would argue that. Almost, you ask people what who extremists were. Uh, nobody would say the guy who thinks we should be in drug uh, drugged up coma to be as sustainable as possible. And nobody would say nobody would say the guy who walks everywhere. Like the only understanding of the word extremist we even use today is if you're hurting people. Like if you're not hurting people or hurting something else, you're not an extremist in how we understand the term today. Which I think is at least one point. Which like you know sort of which I think sidesteps your guys' points, which I'll get to in a second. Right. Because I think that's a different top of the other and I think I would love maybe later if we actually discuss the merits of Earth First because my professor was actually arguing for the the benefits of people like Earth First, who legitimately, I don't know they didn't hurt people, but they hurt infrastructure and stuff like that, which is a different, maybe a different thing altogether. We'll sure. get into the um, irony of perhaps bombing pipelines on another show. Well, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Monkey wrenching is a very, is a much different conversation which we can have altogether. But I think the other question is, is, is exactly what the value of extremism in a, in a much more sense. You guys talk about it. Whereas, I would argue the difference between a Tea Party guy and a person who is, uh, who is arguing for a drug state coma or something like that, um, is that the Tea Party has managed to extremism is only useful if it becomes a if it's understood as a part of a mainstream society. Hmm. One person being an extremist is useless in my mind because you sort of because I don't like maybe you and I will think about it, but everyone also dismiss him as a wacko and move on. But if you can create an extremist, extreme well, movement, the Tea Party has so, proved if you get enough wackos together, well, people me, take you let seriously. Let me ask you this: Did did Occupy move the needle? No. No. I disagree. I think it did. All right. Well, that's a whole other thing. But I don't. <laughs> but like, I, I really don't think it did. I think. I think. I, I think it had the opportunity to. Uh, but they didn't. They didn't pick an issue. That's. They, they, they didn't do what, like. I don't know. That's. A, they were that, too. In my opinion, they were too busy talking about how amazing it was that there was no leaders that they didn't realize that they did lost an opportunity to do something. Well, exactly. Yeah. They had exactly. They had such a, they had such a powerful. They had a powerful opportunity to do something. But that doesn't mean they accomplished again. nothing. No, but I don't think they moved the needle. I don't think I, I think everyone moved on immediately after them. I think I think currently right now, if you look at right now, and if you look at media right now and media before them, right. I don't think you will see any more banks should have been paying for this when they aren't now or anymore. I think I think that's I disagree. A, what about uh, raising minimum wage? Uh, the the fast food workers striking. I think for me, I mean, Edward the one Snowden thing, coming out. The one thing yeah. that, that that you know that to me. Stuck right. was the notion of the one percent and the ninety nine percent, and those are terms that are yeah. still used in the media today. All right, it's true. And we do talk about that income inequality yeah. All right. as a real thing. All but right. from your perspective, yeah. was it? I mean, was it useful? I mean, I would put Occupy and the Tea Party on, really? on sort of. No, I'm not saying in terms of effectiveness. Occupy right. didn't elect anyone. Yeah. 
right? Yeah. Tea Party is running the Republican Party. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm not going to debate yeah. that. Okay. But I would put them in terms of what they were trying to accomplish. Okay. On sort of an equal... Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll give you that. They were definitely they were equally as far. I think. I think what sadly made the Tea Party so much successful is that they basically they were the opposite of what they said they were. They weren't a grassroots movement. They were a top-down funded movement, which then allowed them to have way more power than the actual grassroots movement. And David Koch actually owns an awful lot of land, so you could very much call him a grassroots. Oh, movement. yeah. I guess. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he brings people there and but... they stand on the grassroots. Fine. Right up. But, like, but I think that's. I think that's. I think that's. Uh, that, I think I'll give you that. They're very similar on the extremist levels, very sure. much so. And I'll, 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 I'll even allow that they, they did get the words 99% and 1% into our vernacular, which is at least doing something. Um... I just don't. I guess. I guess when I started this conversation, I was really interested in whether you guys how you guys felt about the actual people who are doing harm, the sort of people who are the actual. I would define as extremists, the people who are really going to blow something so up. So for for me, for me, it's counterproductive. Right. And so you talk on those terms. Yeah. Uh, I think that because I believe that change comes from two things. Mm. I think that you need people outside rattling the gates mm. and causing and yelling, mm. and I think you need people inside right. in the boardroom. Uh, actually, part of those conversations. Right. Hey, those guys outside change. of the gates might have a point. I mean, maybe <laughs> well, but we, that's maybe what we I'm can saying. invite one of them in. Just one that's to what talk I'm saying. You need, you need both. Yeah. Yeah. And anytime there is violence or there's destruction mm-hmm. or there's anything that is over the line, right. and I don't know where that line is, right. but there is a line. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that's crossed, then anyone who is inside the room that wants to bring their issue to yeah. the table is laughed out of that room. Yeah. Well, they close the gates. They exactly. lock the gates because they don't want to get blown up. Because they got to be Besides, up. all the money is inside the gates. Oh, yeah, <laughs> uh, but anyways, so I will. I will take this opportunity to wrap this whole thing up. I think we've we've at least come to some sort of understanding that. Uh, there's a value in extremist positions and a value in sort of rattling the gate to some sense or, or bringing up that conversation. As long as nobody's intentionally as injured. As long as no one's injured. Because I think I think what's interesting is Intentionally that, injured. Intentionally injured, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, think that, I, think that, I think that lends credence to the sort of human aspect of everyone. Whereas people, if, if people will empathize with injury and I think if the Tea Party beat anybody up, it would just, it would it would, it would, it would, it would have ruined them to some extent. And they, well, I, they didn't. They, they sort didn't. of did, so is this how we take down the Tea Party? You get someone up, <laughs> maybe. Or just become one of them and then... <laughs> and then, yeah, let's, let's take someone down. I'll just find the nearest Tea Party rally and go wear my pride flag. Exactly, yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, like, that's a, that's, that, I think that's I think that's an important understanding for everyone to have. And so the, the value of extremist positions versus exactly how you go about it, which I think we could talk about at length, obviously, forever, given what it is right now. And that was the, that was the talk. Uh, we're back to Stefan, who's sitting alone in the room, which, which you left... Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I hope that was interesting to you. Uh, I hope it was worthwhile. And this is, again, uh, Rihanna, not the singer, which it was a confusion I made myself when I first saw the song. This song is called Rihanna, which after you listen to the whole song, will become clear why. Uh, but the actual band is called A Plus E. Uh, they're pretty cool. You can check them out. Uh, obviously, it'll be, the song release will be linked under here. So enjoy. This is the song. Play us up. <laughs> 